When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Snowflakes. Welcome back to the New European Podcast with me, Steve Anglesey, the editor of the New European. Remember the good old days when people said that the arrogant David Cameron, the man who gave Europe away, was Britain's worst ever prime minister? He was followed by the incompetent Theresa May, and people then agreed that she was Britain's worst ever prime minister until we got the arrogant, incompetent, liar and cheat Boris Johnson, who everyone said would definitely be the worst ever British prime minister of all time. And then we had the brief, chaotic, disastrous reign of Liz Truss, like a 15-second song by Extreme Noise Terror, definitely, definitely, definitely making her the worst Prime Minister of all time. Until now. Because now we've got Rishi Sunak. Coming up on today's podcast, the award-winning author and journalist James Ball on Rishi Sunak's special brand of bad. What makes Rishi Sunak so unappealing, so ineffective? Does he have the potential to be even worse than Cameron, even worse than May, even worse than Johnson? And dare we say it, even worse than the worst of the worst, the old truster fuck herself. And if so, what the hell is going to happen to Britain and to Brexit in the next two years? And talking of the worst of the worst, we'll be putting more putrid politicians and pundits into our hall of shame with the new Europeans' best of the best. Before we talk Rishi Sunak with James Ball, another superb print edition of the New European is available now. It's issue 324. It has Rishi Sunak on the cover. Meanwhile, our website and our newsletters are full of stories that take you to the heart of European politics and culture. If you want more of that, there's no better way to support us in what we do than by subscribing. The good news is that podcast listeners can get a year's digital subscription for just a pound a week, or you can get a year's subscription to our print and digital package for just two pounds a week. Just go to theneweuropean.co.uk slash TNE podcast. All the details are there. If you subscribe to Print and Digital for £2 a week, you will get unlimited digital access and our award-winning newspaper will be delivered to your door every week for a year. So there's the address again. You can subscribe at the neweuropean.co.uk slash TNE podcast. So Ellie and Matt will join us for the Hall of Shame, but first it's a pleasure to welcome back to the podcast the New Europeans James Ball author, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, global editor of the Bureau for Investigative Journalism. This week, James Ball has been investigating the strange world of Rishi Sunak. Who is he? 
What plans does he have for us? And why? Good God, why is he so bad? James, welcome back. Rishi Sunak then. I mean, we, we suspected he might be bad, but wow, he is bad. Yeah, I mean, it, it's almost as if sort of, you know, PM isn't really a job that you can fill like a supply teacher. Uh, you know, he's sort of the most hopelessly over-promoted politician ever. You know, I mean, through the transitive property, he lost to a lettuce. Uh, you know, he, he was roundly defeated by Liz Truss, who was such an idiot that she lasted seven weeks, got forced in by default. And somehow I think we're surprised that it turns out he's not a very good PM. No, I mean, he's... He's three months in, isn't he? He's managed to cut the Labour lead by three or four percent, although Labour's lead actually up in some polls, which is, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it seems unthinkable when they're, you know, they're starting from a base of 21, 22 points up anyway. Um, I mean, let's let's talk. We can talk in, in a minute about, you know, what generally has made him so bad. But I think we can't really ignore the, the, the big one is that it's the NHS, isn't it? Which he seems to have been completely blindsided by, so, so much so that he had to have a, a call the fact-finding uh, meeting over the weekend in which he's discovered that the NHS actually is in crisis. What, what, should, what should he have been doing about this all along? I mean, we, we at the moment have a 1,000 excess deaths a week. That's sort of beyond the normal amount of people who die this time each year. And, you know, that's every three weeks, that's a 9-11. That's the sort of scale of crisis that we're in. And of all the sort of vivid things, if a loved one has a heart attack and is waiting two hours for an ambulance, you know, maybe they wouldn't have survived anyway. But if you sort of experience that and you lose them, you are going to remember that for the rest of your life. Or you are going to be angry for the rest of your life. So before Christmas, he should have been having COBRA meetings, sort of visually doing things, you know, announce some extra money for the NHS, sort of, you know, work out some kind of relief capacity. I mean, these problems are complicated. Um, but I mean, one of the obvious sort of stopgaps is buying up beds in care homes, which they've mm. only done this week. Why couldn't that have been done three weeks ago? He seems to have been determined to have a nice long Christmas holiday while thousands of people were dying. Or also, you know, even if you survive, the sort of awfulness of being sort of in an ambulance for nine hours and then in a corridor and then in, you know, there's no dignity to it. Um, and he sort of just doesn't seem to realise that he's running the country and he, it needs to look like he's running the country. Yes, I mean, this is a, this is a, a, a constant theme, isn't it, of his, of his first three months um, in charge? Uh, I mean, we we can talk about the, his other terrible five, uh, the, the other four of his terrible five pledges in a moment, but obviously the one on the NHS was was about tackling waiting lists, wasn't it? Which which is not, re I mean, it's it's an important topic. It's not really getting to the heart of what is happening in the NHS right now. It's a sign of how tinnied he is, because yes. that was the issue three months ago when we weren't having a thousand people a week more than usual dying. Um, and it is important to tackle it. And I, I almost wonder if he picked it because it's not really his fault. Mm. You know, it's a it's a coronavirus hangover, although it is also chronic underfunding of the NHS. You know, the, the two are synonymous, but this is in large part 
you know, necessarily coronavirus meant lots of routine surgery didn't happen. Um, but it's sort of a little bit like, you know, promising to fix the roof uh, and address all the leaks while, you know, the church is on fire. Uh, it's like, yes, the, the roof needs fixing, but there are other problems right now. Yes, that's right. <laughs> he just seems to be a very rigid thinker who can't sort of, you know, the, the lack of any grip of the public mood or how things look is just really palpable. I, I thought, you know, the one that really sticks in my mind is that he flew by private jet to Leeds yes. to do a walkabout in a in a urgent urgent care centre. It's this thing of, and then they said, well, you know, it, he's the prime minister. This was the best use of his time. And it's like, well, if his time's that important, why is he doing a fucking photo op? You know, <laughs> just don't do it. Yes, I mean it is. Uh, it's crazy, isn't it? Even even without the idea that you know, I mean, Westminster is. I mean, I'm sitting in. I'm sitting in, in um, around King's Cross now. Westminster, not too far uh, from here, and then a, a you know a very fast train to to uh, Leeds is available uh, without uh, yeah. the use of a private jet, which presumably and, went from City Airport, which is much further and the, away. And the Leeds train actually works. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not the West Coast. Yeah, it's. Uh, GNER, uh, sorry, LNER, they're not bad. I mean, the other aspect of the NHS, uh, the problems for the NHS, which have, have come back to bite in this week, has, has been the, you know, I mean, again, when you say the you say tin-eared, and when you saw him with Laura Koonsberg, he's asked a simple question, um, and, you know, the, a simple question about his use of, of the NHS uh, and again, his response is incredibly tin-eared, and, and it and it brings back memories of his tin-eared response to you know when, when people were asking about his tax affairs, his wife's non-dom status. Yeah, he's he seems to have this very strange sense that he's some kind of normal private citizen rather than an elected prime minister, and or you know when the tax affairs came up, the chancellor. You know, if you're worth hundreds of millions people are going to ask about your tax and that's not rude or intrusive. If you are in charge of public services, people are going to want to know if you use them. And I think what's so infuriating about this is Margaret Thatcher showed that there is a Tory answer to this. You know, you can say, actually, I'm lucky enough to be able to afford private health care and I've used that. Mm. Uh, and that's, you know, when people like me do that, that takes some pressure off the NHS. It means we're not using those resources. Um, but I'm committed to making sure the NHS is a great, you know, blah, blah. I think it's a terrible answer. I think he should use the NHS, but there is a Tory answer. Uh, and instead, he sort of tried to dance around it, which meant he spent all week being asked about whether or not he used private health care, etc. And, you know, at the time of recording, he's done this funny answer that he's registered with an NHS GP now, but he won't say when he did. And that just makes you think that someone registered him yesterday, doesn't mm. it? Yes, it's incredible. I mean, what are the what are the unique elements of him that make him so bewilderingly disappointing? I mean, we we've said there he is tin eared, you know. 
Um, he's bad at PMQs. He's really bad at PMQs, surprisingly bad, I, I, I think, considering uh, how effective he, he's been in, in debates before. I mean, around the referendum, I think, was the first time many people will have seen Rishi Sunak. He's a very good performer. So he's bad at PMQs. He's very bad at talking directly to the public. You know, I had my hair cut the other day and we were talking about Rishi Sunak. The woman who was cutting my hair said he talks to he talks to people like he thinks they're stupid. Um uh, he's bad at he's bad at making gaffes, or I mean, maybe he's good at making gaffes, but he makes a lot of gaffes. He's bad at dissembling. You can tell when he's lying. He's he's bad at being a party manager, and he's not in control of his own narrative. So I mean, I mean, he does come across as very thin skinned. He's quite petulant. Yes, he's he doesn't petty. like being challenged. Um, Boris was a bit like that actually, which was why when he wasn't able, you know when he became PM rather than foreign secretary, where you're often on the defensive, he, he couldn't do it. But I think Rishi Sunak's got the problem of he's trying to be a technocrat. You know, no one really thinks he believes in anything. He's got that slippery salesman vibe. And he's sort of trying to lean into it and be, I'm the grown-up, I can competently manage the country. But the problem is he can't. He isn't competent at all he's not got a grip on strikes whatsoever he seems to just be trying to talk them away he's not got a grip on the nhs crisis at all there's not really any sense that the government is aware of it let alone that they're doing enough for it and so that leaves him with the economy and we've got the worst economic situation in the g7 um, he's not a vote winner. He's not, you know, he can't run the party. So he's desperately, he's sort of bet the farm on competence and he's incompetent. And so that leaves him with nothing. Yes. And I sort of wonder if part, part of why he seems to be lurching and reeling so much is that on some level he must be aware of it. And that must be horrible. You know, yes. the, <laughs> the sort of, you know, we all have that, that odd crisis of competence where we're like, oh God, what if I'm just fucking this up completely? <laughs> And the issue is, he actually is fucking it up. And I suspect on some level he knows it and he's miserable. Yes. I mean, the the, the, the problem is uh, for him, and you're right, I don't think he he does believe in anything uh, particularly. He's not a, you know, a great ideologue, is he? And, and maybe there's, you know, I mean, Matthew Paris was making the case for the fact that it was good the other day that he wasn't a great ideologue and that Starmer's was not a great ideologue either. But I think the, the problem is the lack of vision, isn't it? Because, you know, when, when, the, when there are so many forces buffeting the country, different things, things that are within our control, things that are outside of our control, you do actually need a bit of vision. So, yeah, so yeah. I mean, is there, is there a Sunakism or, or could there be a Sunakism? I mean, he sort of reminds you of, you know, these are my people, I must know where they're going so I can lead them. You know, you do, you need a sense of, you know, the destination and you're bringing people along with you. And, you know, he looks like he's lost and looking at A to Z. Um, he's, he's sort of traditionally seemed to be a bit of a low tax, economically liberal, deregulate, sort of dry Tory. Hmm. Um, but there's not really any ability to do that. Public services are falling apart. The debt, you know, public debt is very high. Liz Truss has sort of shown there are limits to the market tolerance uh, for some British borrowing. You know, we do need to be a little bit sensible. And so he's sort of stuck with an agenda that he, you know, doesn't match his old politics. And so, yeah, 
he's he's sort of this limp technocrat and you know his five pledges were you know as, as i sort of tackled in the piece this week mostly very weak axiomatic things hmm. but the fifth the fifth of them was small boats and so the one bit of ideology is this very xenophobic anti-migrant sort of horrible vision which you know for, for the you know a child of immigrants i think is particularly toxic but is nasty of any tory leader um but also a very stupidly chosen vision because i don't think anyone reads it as conviction from him and no one no one thinks the tories are doing well on immigration you know liberals like like us are horrified by it morally but even if you're anti-immigration no one thinks they're doing well at stopping it mm. and so you know he's made the one ideological policy that he's spotlighted something only four percent of the public think he's doing a good job of i mean you know given only about 20 you know about 20 percent of the public will vote tory at the moment that tells you that four out of five tories don't think he's doing well on it so why you know the total ineptness of highlighting that issue is off the charts yes i mean of course it is traditional sort of red meat isn't it uh, you know there's an element of base shoring up i'm sure there's an element of base shoring up in in westminster as well because you know despite him, him being from the brexiteer wing of the, the party there's a lot of brexiteers who are very angry with rishi sunak and and that's why you know, we've we now see the the terrible Jacob Rees-Mogg's terrible EU retained laws bill coming back into the Commons next week, where many people, you know, thought that Rishi Sunak would would be quite sensible by trying to kick it into the long grass, maybe delay some of uh, some of the awful things in it to after the next election when it's probably not going to be enacted anyway. It, I mean, why is the, the the EU retained laws bill coming back? I mean, it, it's essentially because the Tory party has become ungovernable. You know, mm. bear in mind, Rishi's got a landslide majority uh, that is inherited, obviously. But, you know, it feels like a minority government, doesn't it? It feels yes. like the 70s, as if it could collapse in a confidence, confidence measure at any moment. And so he can't really take on his backbenchers. And because of the nature of the 2019 election and the various purges that uh, Johnson did, um, it's a particularly lunatic Tory party at the moment. You know, the sensible Tories are all gone. You know, that was a different era. So we've got yes. this sort of bizarre situation of it. Yeah, it's very, very odd, isn't it? I mean, is he weak? I know Labour like to, to repeat that he is weak, uh, because if you repeat something enough times, people will generally begin to pick up on it. Is, it, is he a weak guy? I mean, he's had three months to sort of at any point do something decisive or take any kind of stance and he hasn't <laughs> um you know it's it's you know often party political lines are unfair you know often the best ones are often completely unfair but this one actually you know it just it feels like it would pass the trade description act doesn't it he's, mm. he's sort of a bit of a wet sack of nothing Yes, he really is. You know, we, we we talked about this in the piece, didn't we? The invisible man, the man who isn't there, Mister Cellophane. He, he's 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 really he's nothing. Yeah. It, how worried is he going to be by the Boris Johnson harumphing from the sidelines? Uh, should he be Should he be worried about it? I mean, possibly because the Tories are mad. Um, yes. it, but it's sort of a sign of quite how far in the death race they are. 
that <laughs> the sort of likeliest contender for him is the prime minister who resigned in disgrace after two thirds of his ministers quit. You know, he only went when it became obvious he literally couldn't form a government. Um, and that he is seen as the likely contender if, and most people are really talking about when, uh, the Tories get obliterated in the locals this year. Um, although it's it's going to be a strange set of locals. Um, the Lib Dems did very well in these various seats last yes. time, which means in a lot of southern Tory strongholds, there, there are actually not many Tory seats to lose mm-hmm. and not all that many obvious gains for them. And so what you'll likely see is in the north and in the, you know, the red wall of fame, Labour will have a massive sweep and probably have a very good night. But overall, Tory losses might not be as bad as people think. And so Rishi, you know, if he had any competent political people in his administration, then, you know, he has just hired his best mate and best man, uh, James Forsyth, in there, who is a, a clever guy. Uh, I'd be briefing out, we'll lose, you know, 2,000 seats yeah. where, you know, it's going to be a calamity, it's going to be a disaster, and then brief whatever happens as a triumph and the fact that, you know, the Tory recovery has started. Uh, it'll be desperate, <laughs> but that's his best hope of seeing off Boris, I think. Yes, I mean, I, I guess he could also be saved by from the immediate danger by... The, the sort of the investigation into whether Johnson lied to the Commons about Partygate. Yeah, I, I mean, you were just... I mean, what's bizarre is they seem to still be paying for Johnson's lawyer with government money. I, I yes. would object to that immediately, you know. Like, that's just such an easy public opinion win. And, uh, you know, the more inconvenience that they cause that is, you know, cause Johnson and the more, more awful that investigation is for Johnson, the better it is for Rishi. Especially because, you know, even though he did get fined, there is a bit of a sense among a lot of people that that was a bit mean or, you know, a little bit OTT. You know, it hasn't done him too much damage. Um, You know, he doesn't strike you as someone who was there at 3am at all the parties doing keg stands, does he? No. No, or indeed saying this is the least socially distanced gathering uh, going on in the country at the moment as we... Yeah, I mean, well well done ITV on getting that, but good God. Yeah, it is really, I mean, it's quite incredible. Um, I mean, I started this flippantly by wondering whether in two years' time we might even be looking back at Rishi Sunak and saying, do you know what, he was even worse than Cameron, he was even worse than May, he was even worse than Johnson, he was even, even worse than than Truss. He'd have to go some some way, wouldn't he? I mean, there'd have to be a few more uh, big bumps in the road, more disasters to, to achieve that level of terribleness. I'm I'm honestly not sure. I he he's so he just doesn't seem to understand that problems won't go away if he ignores them. You know, as, as I speak, I've just read that yet again at lobby today, the prime minister's official spokesman refused to call what's happening in the NHS a crisis. Right. Um, he's trying to take on eight different unions at once which, you know, if he thinks he's doing a Thatcher there and looking strong, he's completely misunderstood how Thatcher beat the miners. Um, you know, he's yeah. he's an idiot. He just sort of seems to think that something will come along and save him, and nothing's going to. And he sort of... he's he, It's almost as if he thinks someone else is the PM or someone else is going to 
turn up and tell him what to do. And, you know, unfortunately, he asked for this job. And so he is at some point going to have to start doing it. Well, we anticipate, we wait for that moment with with bated breath. Uh, thank you so much to James Ball, to read James on Rishi Sunak, the man who wasn't there. Pick up issue 324 of the New European, or because it's cold and rainy out there, you can subscribe for £2 a week, get our award-winning paper delivered to your door, plus access to the complete archive of all James Ball's articles for us. And you can do that by going to the neweuropean.co.uk slash TNE podcast. And joining me now for the Hall of Shame, where we enshrine malignant ministers, bogus backbenchers and poisonous pundits, is the new European Matt with us, Ellie Longman-Rood. Get well soon. Matt, welcome back to the podcast. So before we launch into the Hall of Shame, I mean, that fairly convincing set of bad news uh, for Rishi Sunak from James Ball there. But let's talk about the good news for, for Rishi Sunak, which, as we mentioned earlier, is that Partygate is back. Um, and the heat is back on Boris Johnson. It was going to be a big relaunch week for Boris Johnson. In between relaunch weeks for Rishi Sunak, he, he made a big speech um, as they unveiled a painting of him at, at the Carlton Club in London on Tuesday. That's the sort of conservative hacienda. Um, and then he sort of, I mean, he did say back the government, but he also appeared to be challenging Rishi Sunak because he said, keep making the case for levelling up and a dynamic low tax global Britain and uh, various of his other catchphrases. Um, but instead, mostly thanks to ITV's uh, podcast, there's more and more Partygate details. What's What's been your favourite so far, Matt? Um, well, firstly, I'm beginning to wonder if you're on some kind of bet to get a factory records mention into uh, every episode. Every, yeah. Yes. N- next week, it'll be inflation figures operating on a certain ratio. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's so much, isn't there? Boris Johnson uh, is said to have described one of these alcohol fueled leaving dudes as, quote, the most socially distanced party in Britain, uh, which is, even by his own standards, fairly damning. Uh, officials in Downing Street are said to have shredded key documents ahead of the Sue Gray investigation, uh, made sure they all told the same story prior to filling out Metropolitan Police questionnaires. I mean, quite why they were given questionnaires, which obviously gave them the opportunity to uh, get their stories straight and presumably have legal advice. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, it seems a very strange, uh, with hindsight, a very strange way of carrying out the investigation. And then thanks to the Times, we know uh, we know this. Some of Boris Johnson's aides had sex at 10 Downing Street during a party that took place during lockdown on the eve of the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral. Two couples were seen by numerous witnesses becoming intimate with each other at the gathering of aides and officials, which continued past 4am. One pair were seen, um, and I, I apologise for this, feeling each other up in a kitchen before retiring to a dark room from which they later emerged flustered. Uh, the other pair were seen going into an office with the lights off. Uh, I mean, this seems like a kind of 1970s Robin Asquith sex comedy. Yes, it does. I mean, the only the only surprise is that Boris Johnson isn't named among the, the four people <laughs> well, um, no. having sex. But um, but there you go. Yeah. I mean, it's it's quite incredible, isn't it? Um, but I mean, I, I suppose if you do go into an office with the lights off, there's always the, the light from the, the wine fridge. Um, if you open the wine fridge, you can you can sort of feel your way about um, through there. I mean, I've always thought that 
you know, sort of like when Jose Mourinho, you always knew Jose Mourinho was going to go back to Chelsea. And there's a grim inevitability that Boris Johnson, is, I think, will, will lead the Conservative Party again. You know, maybe he won't be Prime Minister, but they'll try and bring him back again, certainly. I mean, how bad is this for, for Boris Johnson and his, his hopes of returning? I, I don't think it is necessarily bad for Johnson. Because if he does wish to return as party leader and prime minister, he only has to win over a majority of Conservative Party members. And poll after poll shows that they overwhelmingly don't think he's done anything wrong. Mm. Um, I mean, even the, the Privilege Committee's investigation, which I think is expected to begin fairly soon, um, might not be a career ender, given you can expect the right wing coverage of it. You know, the Mail, the Telegraph, the papers that Tory parties still predominantly get their news from will likely be of the you know is this really the people's priority or vengeful Ramona's wreak revenge on Boris variety which if anything will only endear him to the only constituency which matters and unless of course they do take the ultimate sanction of throwing him out the commons I'd be incredibly surprised if they did that and then he'd and then he'd still find a way back because he's Boris yes. Johnson Yes, he would. You know, I mean, they could. I, I guess if they did, I mean, if they did throw him out, there could be a recall election, couldn't there? If ten percent of his constituents wanted one, I think that would be fairly easy to um, fairly easy to organise. But first, they do. I mean, they have to they have to throw him out, don't they? For over, I think it's over ten days, and that that seems unlikely to me. I mean, Sunak. We talked a lot about last week. I mean, if 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 it's not Sunak and it's not Boris Johnson. Who who is left from the Tory? But who would be the, the the next Tory leader? Do you think? Well, the the odds um, at the moment. Well, Johnson is still the, the five to one favourite. Then you've got Kemi Badenoch at seven to one, uh, Penny Moore than eight to one, Ben Wallace nine to one, Jeremy Hunt eleven to one, which is um, very unnecessarily sure. It's not going to be him. Um, James Cleverly at fourteen to one, Suella Braverman. <laughs> God forbid at 20 to 1. Um, Tom Tugendhat, um, he's 33 to 1. Um, and then you've got Barkley and Gogau at 40 to 1. I think the smart money would be on uh, Kemi Badnot. I think much of the politics are not mine or yours, or I suspect 99% of the listenership. She displayed during last summer's uh, first biannual leadership contest. Uh, she knows how to tinkle the very particular ivories of the Conservative Party membership, which is one uh, overwhelmingly concerned about wokeness. Uh, they possibly don't really know what it is um they certainly couldn't define it if asked but they've heard about it and they're pretty sure they don't like it and uh bad or not ticks all the boxes you know questioning brexiteer against the so-called diversity industry against the notion that there's widespread industri- uh, institutional racism in the uk bit obsessed with gender neutral toilets um and that's that's where the conservative party is now you know they're not interested in a jeremy hunt figure saying hey guys what about fiscal stability you know they're worried about same-sex couples on strictly come dancing <laughs> i mean she would be my my tip as well it is i mean it's a, a real a real charisma free zone isn't it it's like a it's like a bermuda triangle of, of charisma yeah um i mean when when suella braverman can be the uh what is she the six or seventh favorite uh there is something wrong there so let's move then to the hall of shame which is where we talk about uh the terrible politicians and terrible pundits every week um a terrible politician who is now a terrible pundit is Anne Widdicombe, and I always start with her. Um, and this is what she's uh, been writing about this week in the Daily Express. Uh, just ignore the Prince of Peeves, 
she writes about Prince Harry, um, and uh, and then she uh, goes on to uh, to say she basically calls him a sport brat and says the best way to deal with sport brats who are having a tantrum is is to ignore them. And you know that's that's good advice. And let's look at how her employer is ignoring uh, Prince Harry. Last Friday, they uh, Daily Express ignored him with seven pages. Uh, last Saturday, the ignoring went on. They only had nine pages on him. Uh, Monday and Tuesday, uh, seven more pages apiece there of the news blackout on Prince Harry. And on Wednesday, which is the day and Whittacombe's column appears, they ignored him with four more pages. So I think that is the ignoring is is in full swing there, and I'm sure he will go away soon. Um, Matt, who who are you putting in the Hall of Shame this week? Uh, well, my first entrant is a uh, Labour councillor turned Conservative MP, GB News favourite and all-round halfwit, Lee Anderson. Uh, the yes. answer to the question, what if black pudding became vaguely sentient? <laughs> uh, Anderson has been back on his hobby horse about food banks, a phenomenon he argues are unnecessary. It's perfectly simple to make what he describes as tasty and nutritious meals for 30 pence. Uh, as proof of this, he posted on Twitter this week a stock image of a bowl of Weetabix with the words, just being asked for proof of a 30 pence breakfast, there you go. Uh, not only do I not believe the well-nourished Anderson uh, eats what is in effect a Brillo pad in milk for breakfast, but it reminded me of what else Lee Anderson reminds me of. Listeners, Google Weetabix Weetagang and be reminded of when, in the 1980s, the serial's TV mascots were a group of aggressive anthropomorphic skinhead biscuits and dungarees and bother boots. That is Lee Anderson. Um, and joining Lee is Jonathan Gullis, a former teacher, Conservative MP, a junior minister for all 50 days of Liz Truss's premiership. Uh, an answer to the question, what if black pudding became vaguely sentient? Uh, Gullis was in the news twice this week, firstly as the subject of the independent story Tory MP filmed chewing his fingernails during key NHS speech, uh, and it's true, he did, but also for a speech attacking potential teachers' strikes in which he said, while I'm a huge admirer of the incredible work that teachers do, they are sadly being cajoled out of the classroom by barren bosses in unions such as the Not Education Union, led by Bolshevik Bowstead and Commie Courtney, along with their Labour mates to make sure that kids continue to suffer. Bolshevik and Commie, uh, it reminds me of Jack Donaghy in 30 Rock, boasting of how a new addition to TGS was polling. They love him in every demographic, coloured people, broads, fairies, commies, gosh, We've got to update these forms. And that's why Jonathan Gullis is also in the Hall of Shame. Uh, I mean, excellent choices there. I, I've got to say that I really like black pudding and I, I don't like either Lee Anderson or, um, or or Jonathan Gullis, but you won't ruin black pudding for me, Matt Withers. I, 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 can I add, uh, I, I really like black pudding myself, uh, just in case people leap on me as some kind of um, metropolitan uh, elitist. Um, I am from the Northwest. I love black pudding. We, it's not a cliche. It's all we eat up there. Um, I'm from the northwest too. Um, we we spoke about this guy earlier in the week, Matt, and I, I think we we must mention Andrew Bridgen. What what a time he is having. Um, Brexiteer, key ERG member. Uh, he's just been suspended for the from the Commons for breaking lobbying rules. Um, and you have to go some, don't you, to to 
be suspended from the Commons for breaking lobbying rules. I mean, they're all at it. Last year, this is coming hard on the, the, the heels of his endeavours last year, when uh, a High Court judge said Bridgen had lied under oath in a case involving his family firm. Uh, Bridgen has subsequently been evicted from his £1.6 million home in Leicestershire. Very nice that looked too. Uh, for the last two months, he's been tweeting almost exclusively about COVID conspiracy theories and bringing them up in Parliament. And that has all led up to this week's tweet where he compared vaccinations to the Holocaust. And then he promptly had the Tory whip withdrawn and any more disasters like this. And they'll make him the next prime minister. Um, but worst, foremost or for least in the Hall of Shame this week, and we've not been able to say this for a while, is Boris Johnson. Um because, you know, we, let's return to this ITV podcast and, and the, the Partygate stuff. And, I mean, this is just an incredible line in the ITV podcast. Downing Street Aid says this, I was working late, some music came on, there were loads of people stood around, uh, I heard the Prime Minister speaking, and that's when I heard the quote, you mentioned this earlier, Matt, this is the most unsocially distanced party in the UK right now. Everyone was laughing about it, the aid continues. He was there seeing people sat on other people's laps in close proximity, crowded, scrunched up in front of him. He's not blind. He's not stupid. He saw that and he didn't shut it down. And that was on November the the 13th, 2021. A few days later, in December 2021, at PMQs, Catherine West, the Labour MP, asked him directly, was there a party in number 10 Downing Street on November the 13th? Boris Johnson replied, no but I am sure that whatever happened, the guidance was followed and the rules were followed at all time. And, you know, it's just a reminder that Boris Johnston is a cheat. He is a liar. And for now, he's still an even worse prime minister than Rishi Sunak. Uh, and that's the end of the podcast. Um, thanks uh, to Matt Withers. Thanks to uh, our guest, James Ball. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you to John Dakin, our producer. If you don't want to miss an episode of this podcast, please subscribe. Give us nice ratings and lovely reviews wherever your podcatcher of choice allows. Uh, you can join our Facebook readers group. You can follow us on Twitter at The New European. Where can you follow you on Twitter, Matt? I am at Matt Withers. Uh, and I am at Sanglesey. Uh, oh, and a reminder of our special offer for new subscribers. £2 a week for print and digital, £1 a week for digital at the new european.co.uk slash tne podcast so until the next time we meet hopefully with a restored eleanor longman rood it's goodbye from matt withers goodbye and from me it is so long snowflakes Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.